Welcome to the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki-focused stories, 100% human. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Dive into Reiki. And today I'm very, very, very excited. I have with me Susan Mitchell. Uh, she learned Reiki from Hawaii Takata, who brought Reiki to the West from Japan. She was the first director of the Reiki Alliance from 1988 to 1998 and an editor of the Dutch Reiki International. She helped curate the Hawaii Takata archives, now housed at the University of California in Santa Barbara. And in 2019, Susan had the honor of editing in her own voice a tribute to Phyllis Lay Furumoto from 1948 to 2019. She's currently part of a team reprinting Reiki the Great Book and editing Hawaii Stakata's recorded memoir, Reiki is God Power. But most of all, she's a beautiful, filled with light and fun human being that I'm really looking forward to having a chat with. Thank you, Susan, for saying yes. Yeah, you're so welcome, Natalie. I I was delighted to be asked and, you know, looked forward to it because it's very fun to do an interview with you. Thank you. We haven't started. We're both smiling. So that, that's a good place. <laughs> so I start every interview the same way. I, I love to find that origin story. The moment you came into contact with Reiki practice, and what made you fall in love with the system? Yeah. Okay. Great. Um in a tiny way, I would say it started when I was probably in about seventh or eighth grade. And I was always looking for an experience of God. So I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools. And um, I felt like my question didn't seem to be on anybody else's mind in the way that I was asking it. Um, and I thought that that experience should be tangible. Um, but I, I didn't have it. So it's like, you know, as a 12 year old or 13 year old, now what do I do? So, um, yeah. So then I ended up, uh, with a theology major from a Jesuit university, University wow. of San Francisco, because I was still looking. <laughs> I love that. And I didn't find it there. And so uh, it was, it's just always back there. There's something more. Um, yeah. So in 1978, my husband, Paul, uh, was on a sabbatical from teaching at a Catholic high school in San Francisco. And in theory, he was going to San Francisco State University for a master's degree in education, but he never took an education class. So I'm just observing and wondering, but he ends up in a class called holistic health and self-regulation. So this was designed by the head of the biology department at San Francisco State and he, uh, George Rocky. He's Japanese, very involved in the Japanese community, and also wanting to do scientific research on the phenomena of healing. So he created this class that was a potpourri of people who were doing holistic health 
I love the quote marks. Because <laughs> that's what it was called back then. And it was pretty unknown. Um, so Paul had signed up for this class. And there, you know, uh, there was an array of people who spoke on their particular practice. And one of the people whom George had heard about in the Japanese community was Hawaii Takata. So the, uh, the day that she comes, he comes home and he is so excited. And he starts telling me all about her. And I think every story that she told, he retold to me. And he said, um, while she was talking, she was always treating somebody from the class. And at one point, she, she has her hands on this woman and she says, do you feel that? And the woman says, yes, yes, I do. And um, Takata says, well, she said, if people are interested, I will come back in the summer and do a class. So, you know, people put their names on the paper and um, Paul said to me, I really want to do this. And I said, I really want to do this too, which shocked him. But I'll say more about that probably later. So um, we, we went ahead and took that first degree class um, in the summer of 78. And then we immediately, well, from night one, as soon as she showed us how to do self-treatment, we started treating ourselves and have continued for the following 43 years. Wow. Um, and, uh, and then we, uh, George started a Reiki circle at his house. So every Thursday night, unless we were out of town, we were there. And um, in addition, we also started treating all of our friends, almost whether they wanted it or not. <laughs> <laughs> we were very insistent. Um, but a part of my journey that I'll just mention, and maybe I'll go back to later, um, was that I, I could tell from being treated by Takata during class and other people who were treated and hearing her stories that she really was a healer. Um, I had about 99% doubt that I could do this. Wow. But ironically, in spite of that, like we were constantly doing it, you know, and, and Reiki Circle helped a lot in terms of when we all got together, we'd share like who we treated and what had happened. And, you know, in the beginning, I always discounted my experience, but, but hearing everybody else and then seeing how it mirrored my own experience in, in treating people, um, you know, I just began to kind of settle. And um, the following year, Paul was driving to Washington, D.C., taking a car across country for a friend who'd moved. And he got to Texas and he thought, I'm going to call Hawaii Takata and see if she's home. She lived in Iowa. And maybe I could do second degree on my way to D.C. So, you know, he goes from Texas on up to Iowa because she is, in fact, home and says that it'd be just fine. And she st he stays with her for a few days learns second degree, meets her granddaughter, Phyllis, um, and then continues his trip. So when he comes home, now that he knows 
Takata better. Um, we start talking about organizing classes for her. And so that fall, she comes and stays with us for about 10 days. And we did a couple first degree classes, a second degree class. Um, and then she just stayed with us in our home, which is basically what she always did wow. um, when people organized for her. So Paul was initiated as a Reiki master. This is 1979. And, um, and I take second degree. And then she dies in 80 in December. So we've had Reiki for like two and a half years. And um, then in, well, we, so um, we've met Phyllis again, both of us, because she brought Takata to our house when, when Takata was teaching. Um, and so after Takata's death, um, we have moved to Idaho and Phyllis is in British Columbia. So we have more and more relationship with yeah, one another. We'll be closer. Yeah. 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 Because we're very close. And who else does Reiki anywhere near us? Nobody. And then the time, nobody does Reiki. <laughs> maybe when there were like 30, 40 Reiki practitioners, maybe 50. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, then I was initiated as a Reiki master uh, in 1985. And uh, that actually came about because of a dream. Paul and Phyllis and a couple other um, Reiki masters were doing a workshop and I had just come along with our little infant daughter at that point. And um, the first night Phyllis said, Oh, why don't you come? Um, so I did just, just because I knew a lot of the people there and for fun. And um, that night, Barbara West, uh, who was trained by Phyllis um, was one of the facilitators and she invited everyone to pay attention to their dreams during this coming week. And I thought, Oh, I just hate it when people say that just makes me <laughs> kind of anxious and I can't really sleep. And, you know, I never dream anything anyway. So that night um, around 2 AM, I just sit bolt upright in bed. And I've had this dream where, where we were in British Columbia, there was a big lake. And I had this dream that I was in the lake with Phyllis. And then there was Takata and Usui and Hayashi, like above us. And, um, and Phyllis dunks me in the water and I pop out and I call to everybody on the shore. I say, come on in, you guys. It's really great. <laughs> Love that dream. And so when I step in bed, I just go, I'm going to be a Reiki master. And I had really never considered it. I just thought, you know, like, I love Reiki. I practice Reiki, but this, that's not really my thing. I am a second grade teacher, which I love. So then, you know, that's what happened. Um, I think I got initiated about a year later. Yeah. And have been doing Reiki as my only work since then. Oh, wow. Although it's expressed itself in a lot of, in several ways with yeah. alliance and with editing and things like that, in addition to having a treatment practice and teaching. And I love that, that you brought everything you were into your practice, right? Because Yes, you have skills for writing, for editing, for other stuff. So you bring it into the practice to serve. And that's 
that's I think sometimes it takes a little bit of time at the beginning, like I give treatments and I teach. It's like, no, everything you are, you bring and it's yours, right? So I love that. And I love how much time you took and all the dream is fantastic for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's my my origin story. I I love it. And and then I can... It's funny, a lot of times I talk to people and one thing I notice is like a lot of times we take a lot of time between Reiki 2 and Reiki 3. Yeah. Like we take our time to train and we base, but we train, like we repeat and we practice. And I think that is something that special. well, now with the pandemic, everything is weird on hold, but that's something that in the last few years has been lost, that, that time of practice between, especially Reiki 2 and Reiki 3. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really critical. Um, you know, in terms of initiating masters, I really want them to have a lot of experience in part because of this phenomena of all developmental processes that go on out of practice, right? Yeah. And treating other people and, you know, the struggles that you have, the doubts, um, you know, the point where you want to throw it all away or you just, or you lose interest. Well, people well, need time to lose interest, just as they need time to um, build trust and confidence and experience. Yeah. yeah. So I love that at the end, we really don't get to the depth of Reiki with the head and training. I'm thinking you were studying theology, right? You were really trying to grasp it intellectually. Yeah. And what practice gives us is that non-intellectual grasping of mm-hmm. the practice. So I love that at the end, it was just like, Yes, you have all your degree, but what you need to do is place your hands, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, well, yes, I I don't have to theorize about that or philosophize, but (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Sorry, I'm the one who got inspired to philosophize. Sorry. (laughs) So, and I already like, obviously, a lot of people know a lot about Mrs. Takata, but if you have one teaching of Mrs. Takata or Phyllis Furumoto that comes to mind the most, uh, what would that be? Yeah, um, I, so, you know, I, I think lots of people are familiar with these little sayings of Hawaii, yeah. right? And, and you know, as a student of hers, I mean, it's one of the things that just you know, sticks in your head. So the two that I thought of were watch my hands, let Reiki teach you. And I like those because, uh, well, for a number of reasons, but, but partly it's this interplay of form and essence. Oh, wow. And so form, I mean, that, that carries the structure. And if I'm a, a new student, it gives me something to rely on as I find my way. Um, it gives me confidence. You know, Takata always used to say, with the basic treatment, you have everything you need to give a good treatment to take care of yourself, your family, and your friends. This is all you need. And, um, and what I also love is. Um, it gives us a shared practice. And so I'm going to speak in terms particularly of, of my own Reiki tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the idea. Everybody that's really what I know. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, 
It's like when we come together, either with a group of students or or with colleagues, um, and we exchange treatments with one another, you know, we're all following the same form. It's it's beautiful. It just touches my heart. And, um, and, you know, in that process of being together in that way, it's a kind of ritual. We don't talk about it as a ritual, but I mean, it is, you know, that we're all doing this together and we're all creating a field and a, a sacred space. Um, so I also, um, oh gosh, just feel very moved by that, you know, to, to be able to be together in that way. And I don't feel that that um, is any, I mean, I don't know if it's any different, but I don't assume it's any different than other people's experience of being together, doing Reiki together. But it, it's a particular expression that um, that's really dear to me. and. Uh, is Reiki will teach you. Oh, because the structure in and of itself is not it. You know, it's the it's the heart, the essence of it, where the meaning is. And, and so I, I think this counterpoint is also really important in terms of um attuning us to the the reminder that the form is only useful when it expresses the essence. And the essence calls you to attend mindfully to what you're doing when you're treating. And um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Ah, and then, you know, along with that mindfulness is your intuition that comes alive, however you perceive intuition. It may be through your hands, it may be images, it may be sound, you know, what, it doesn't matter, but it comes that way. And so she's saying, look, watch my hands, the form of this treatment is important, and Reiki will tell you where to move your hands, you know, so it's, it. It's both are true. And uh, it's one of the first teachings I think I had about paradox, which I find everywhere in Reiki, you know, that more than one thing is true. And we're always offered the opportunities to see that and, and be reminded of it and loosen up our minds. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because I've read that those sayings of Hawaii Takata probably a thousand times. <laughs> and I've never saw what you just uh, share with us today. Uh -huh. you know? Because for me, and part is because I go to a dojo martial arts, for me, it's like I'm used to watch what I do and repeat. And yeah. then as true repetition, now that I think about it, I get to the essence of the kata, right? Yeah. Until you go beyond that kata, you know, which is these movements we do. But I, it's funny, I had never assigned that depth to that sentence, right? It was very simple. So I really appreciate you sharing it so beautifully because I think also, again, in Reiki, a lot of times either we are obsessed with form and protocols yeah. and hand position. They slap your hands if you do it wrong. Uh, sometimes oh, people, 
Okay. <laughs> Nicely. It's like they flash okay. you, but then you know they may correct you. Uh-huh. And or with the essence, and then we don't respect the form. And for me, those two things, you know, the form is the anchor for the essence. And mm-hmm. like you need both form and the essence. So I, I love how you put it. And I never saw that depth in that. So now I'm gonna be like looking at those saying with a different thing, I'll be oh. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Well, thank you. So, and a little bit building on that because, as you said, obviously you've been practicing, and I love that part of like that communal. Because again, we talk about rake interconnection, but there is also that living in person interconnection that I think with the pandemic we realized how how nurturing and wonderful it was beyond that, you know, interconnection through time, no distance, and all of these things. But so through that practice and having the same form, how has your practice changed over how many years was it? 30 something? 43. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, over 43 years. It was so funny in, you know, looking at the questions and thinking about them. I realized that when I met Takata, she'd been practicing for 43 years. And then I just, I was I can never remember how long I've been practicing, but I just happened to do the math. And I went, oh, my gosh, it's the same. We're celebrating an anniversary. <laughs> God. And I put 30. I was like, wrong by far. Sorry about that. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's it's not what's really important. Yeah. 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 Just happens to be, you know, what it is. I've seen and, I get, and I keep getting older, and so I keep getting more. Thank years. God. <laughs> well, yeah, because the alternative is not like I, I see. Sorry, I have a thing about aging. I actually celebrate aging, and like, and I think it's not like embraced with enough joy. Yeah. So that's why I'm like celebrating that. Yes, may you stay <laughs> many more years. Yeah. <laughs> with healthy bones, very important. Yes, healthy bones, healthy mind. As also. well, yes. Yes, I really want that. Yeah, yeah. So let's see, did you ask me a question? Yeah, yeah sorry, we got that. Um, <laughs> so, now, so when you practice today, imagine you're doing yourself treatment today. Uh, is it very different than when you started or is it in a way the same? I, you know, because for me, like it's both sometimes. Yes, that's what I would say. So, you know, like what looks the same? My daily self-treatment. Um, yeah, I think that's the the big one. But um, yeah, and and the form that I teach um, is the same form. Certainly, the things that I feel I have have deepened and and expanded. You know, like when I treat myself. Um, from what it was back then. But one of the things that's the most important to me is um, how my sense of trust and confidence, that's what's changed, I think, more than anything. And even, you know, occasionally you have a client uh, where the person really feels nothing and maybe they're a little disgruntled even not often, but you know, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so where that used to kind of bother me and, you know, it's like, I wanted to say, but, 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 and, 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 um, 
I just have no doubt that some seed has been planted. And, um, and I can trust that. You know, I don't have to see results. Oh, wow. Outer results. I, uh, I just can't imagine how one can be touched by Reiki and not be affected in any way. You know, and so, yeah, so I'm good with that. And what you said is beautiful because planting a seed, and again, that's why I love these conversations, right? I had never seen it like that. Like, like I'm less disturbed when people, like in New York, a lot of people, it's like, I'm still stressed out. I'm like, you know, I'm fine with that. But I had never thought about these people carrying a seed that when they are ready, yeah, will bloom into light. So that is a beautiful, yeah. and I think it's also for all those people struggling, because I do think we all go through the same things, but mm -hmm. we don't talk about the struggles a lot of times. So I think this beautiful image of planting a seed is going to help a lot of people watching this interview or listening on the podcast. It's yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing would be my relationship with the principles. Um, Takata gave those to us in our first degree class. Uh, but I was really young. I mean, I wasn't entirely unself-aware, but you know, I have a lot more road miles <laughs> and have had lots more opportunities to keep working on the very same things over and over and over and over, right? <laughs> and the opportunities to get angry and worried. Yeah. So when I first heard the principles in class, I remember very clearly, just for today, do not anger. I thought, no problem. I mean, I'm not angry. And, you know, it took me a while because I, I mean, I grew up in, in a family where I was definitely uh, expected to be good. And I was, that was, you know, <laughs> clearly my role and my mission. And yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it took, it took years, I think. I mean, probably at least three, four, five years before that principle really came alive for me. And it's like, oops, whoa. <laughs> and then, you know, the other one that, that struck me in the first degree class was show gratitude to every living thing. And when she said show gratitude, that was just completely foreign. Wow. It's very sad, you know, to say this but um i just thought when she said it i thought huh i don't know anything about gratitude oh, wow and i didn't feel judgmental i just felt more puzzled actually now that you say about it my family we grew up with sacrifice and you'll be loved there was no, now that you say it, yeah we will say thank but there was no real gratitude we, we i don't we didn't talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah. So this idea that the principles are the secret method that summons happiness. I, I mean, there are so many, you know, different interpretations yeah. of the memorial stone, but that's the one I'm familiar with. And I, uh, I also love that. And I think it's very inspiring. 
you know, to, to turn our attention to the principles and use them as a reference point and, and just keep checking, keep checking. What is that irritation? What's that about? And is that something that, uh, no, I really need to look at what's beneath it. Yeah. All those things. I, I love that because again, in some lineages, like the, the principles or precepts are the core in some other lineages, hands on healing. And then they, just read the precepts or they put them like in a frame. But for me, the precepts and hands-on healing, they're like, first of all, they're very tight, but yeah. the precepts are really great cues for self-exploration, you yeah. know? And, and we need that because we need to let go of all that anger and worry we don't even know we have. And as you say, they, they bring self-awareness. Like I knew I was angry, always being like a crazy Scorpio, but, but, you know, I never understood why I was anger yeah. and how could I regulate that anger into something positive, right? So that takes reflection. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, some things we do need to reflect. Hands are great. but So yeah. I, I love that balance between the hands on healing and the principles taking more space mm -hmm. into it. And I think that is a great segue a little bit, um, you know, about what we're Talking about uh, before we started to record the interview about maintaining a light heart amidst the wow. pandemic, and let's not even go like if we I opened the New York Times today and the news are a little bit like I don't even want to mention, but the world is going through let's call it a challenging time to be polite. <laughs> yeah. So I would love for you to say like how can your Reiki practice uh, help you to go through this, and what else is realistic in terms of expectations from Reiki practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think this question of uh, maintaining a light heart, I want to just start because I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> but I want to start by saying that quite honestly, I feel um, at this point in my life, um, a deeper sense of really joy and delight than I have ever felt. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, I mean, maybe, well, it's, it's the result of many things, uh, and partly getting older and, um, getting older as well as all the things that are going on that are so difficult and frightening, um, I think just makes me, um, want to embrace the beauty of life as well. So that said, <laughs> um, one of the things that all, all of this, you know, the political situation, all the polarization, the pain of no longer being able to talk to one another because our viewpoints differ, um, the state of our democracy in the United States, as well as other places in the world, you know, that, I mean, the very likely possibility of war in Europe, you know, which was, has been unthinkable. Yeah. That one came out of the field. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the, uh, the amount of 
of pain and disenfranchisement and um, hurt that some people live with just because of gender, religion, um, sexual preference, color, um, you know, is so sad. And simultaneously, we're on the verge of very likely catastrophic environmental collapse. So uh, because I personally feel it's really important to face the reality and uh, yeah, and really think about what those implications, what implications are there for all of us. Um, it has pushed me to look at my own fear. And uh, I'm just uh, structure-wise, I'm a person who, in the face of fear, the bottom line is always survival, which feels like it's completely threatened. You know, so that's kind yeah. of my inner <clears throat> landscape, right? So, you know, one of the things I, I started looking at was how afraid I was of dying a violent death. And then that's just been back there, you know, forever. I mean, it doesn't matter why. I don't know why. But um, I just, I mean, I just started looking at, well, what am I afraid of? You know, and, and how afraid I am that people I love may die or that, um, you know, we may have no food you know, or, you know, whatever it might be, fire which I live in the West, so this is huge the last years. And um, so I just started asking myself, who do I need to be? Who do I want to be if this is the scenario? You know, how do I want to be with other people? How do I want to show up for other people? And um, so I just felt like, okay, then start looking at what you're afraid of and really probing it. And um, because if all of these things that you're afraid of, um, if you just stay in this place of fear, it's only going to grow and it will make you crazy, which I think is a lot of what we see. Yeah, absolutely. People are just going crazy out of this, these layers of, unconscious or ignored fears, right? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, what I really uh, think about a lot now is how do I build inner resiliency in myself? And, um, and I think part of it is definitely taking time for reflection and really probing you know what I'm afraid of and um yeah and then it, we just moved into a co-housing community uh, about three four months ago and it's multi-generational okay. so of course one of the great points of grief is what these small children may have to suffer and I think we have to look at it and we have to talk about it, you know? And so I, in my new community, I bring it up with 
other people individually and also as a group. Um, <laughs> I usually start by saying, you know, I hate to be a downer, but. <laughs> oh my God. And then, and then where I go is, so what are we going to do? How are we going to be? You know, how do we build this like minds that are soft enough, pliant enough to be able to be with what we are more likely than not going to encounter? And, um, and so, you know, this is the part about where I started out by saying, and I feel more joyful than I ever have. <laughs> I, um, I look at these young families and these little kids, and I'll tell you, it just touches my heart and delights me. And, you know, Paul and I will stand at our kitchen window sometimes and just laugh at the things going on. And I know uh I mean, it's so beautiful. And part of what we have to do with young kids is to give them this joy over the beauty in life, you know, and, um, and simultaneously, as they're ready, begin talking about the hard things. And I think, you know, helping them, giving them opportunities to be in nature and to be nourished by that. Um, yeah. Giving them agency. I mean, I like to think of Reiki as giving them agency, um, you know, and opportunities for me as time goes on. We're already treating people in our community. <laughs> when we see people who look like they're struggling or somebody has an accident. Lucky people. <laughs> Do you have still space in the cocoa housing community? I'm moving in. <laughs> Not at this moment, but you know, people will always be moving out. Yeah. So um, I I think that as as it's all more fragile, maybe it helps me see it's all more precious, and there's more to be grateful for. I, yeah. I love how you put it. It's funny for me, Ricky practice, and I was. I grew up in a messy country, but nothing like what we're going today. But anger was my way of surviving and be strong. And now I feel thanks to Reiki practice, I can be more comfortable, as you said, softer. And we was in uncomfortable. And it actually sometimes helped me. The other day I went to the post office and the lady, she was treating me awful, right? So I'm tired. It's in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm like, eh. and I'm like, there might be a nuclear bomb from Russia falling in two weeks. Is this how you're going to behave? And I soften it because every moment becomes very precious. And yeah. maybe that bomb hopefully will never fall. But, you know, I can fall down the train or I can live another 40 years. But there is that sense like I have to be present. I have to be grateful every minute. If I live 300 years, which won't happen, or if I live one more day, right? Yeah. And that I think... It's, it's again, it takes practice, but that where for me, Reiki practice really supports. It's easier to do it with Reiki practice. I could not do it when I was a young person going mm -hmm. through military coup d'etats and bombs in Venezuela. I was just angry, right? And there was no way to regulate emotions or to reflect upon them and grow as a person. So I love how you brought that. It does become precious. And I think I mentioned you this before. One thing I'm feeling is a lot of times as Reiki practitioners, we feel we should always be joyful and not feel this fear 
that is not okay and then, or that we should not feel very depressed and seek for help and that our practice is failing us. And actually, no, the practice helps us see reality. And sometimes we do need that help, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't assume for myself or for anybody else that um, developing this um, resiliency is an easy snap of the fingers. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, we have hard inner and outer work. Yeah. And we could also do it joyously. Yes. But, but it's work. It's work. And, and we'll get lost in the process and bonk into things. And my desire to really show up, I mean, we'll see, you know, I hope I can do that. I want to do that. I intend to do that. And I'll do it as well as I can, you know, and I don't know how well that will be. So compassion to yourself and others, right? Yeah. Being because that's part of being soft too. Like sometimes mm-hmm. for me, like sometimes I still lose it with telemarketers, right? But I lose it a lot less. So when I lose it, it's like, yeah, but you didn't lose it yesterday. Like, you know, it's a very you've practiced yeah. for over 40 years. I've practiced for 15. Mm-hmm. And it may be slow, but it's secure. And then again, also we do have, we may have a hundred years of practice, but there are conditions sometimes. I, I think it was I think it was Paramanas who said like like Reiki doesn't help with hormonal perimenopause like like nothing you know like and I always love that because it's like, like thank you it's not me right so we have like it's not a magical cure for all like it's not like I practice Reiki and my problems are gone and I feel fine right right it, it's a practice that supports you but but I love that thing like you know there are some things like hormones and crazy pandemics that sometimes we actually need help beyond our practice yeah yeah well yeah um and you know i think that's a whole other part of our journey with reiki is that we see that there are times where we reach out for other things or um or for people who aren't necessarily people who practice reiki but we know we need help And part of why we know we need help is because our practice has helped us to see that how we are um, is uh, is hurting us or maybe hurting people around us or probably both. Um, Yeah. So I love how you put that. We have the clarity to see, you know, so we think our practice is failing us when in reality our practice is showing us the way, you know, I think that is a lovely way to put it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, what is Reiki? I don't have an answer to that question, but there's, there are, I mean, there are any number of things we could say, but one of the things that I witness is potentiality, is that Reiki shows us the potential that we have and that we're, I mean, I often imagine, you know, the the essence of the universe is potentiality, possibility, you know, infinite possibility. And, uh, and that's true about us, right? I mean, that we have infinite possibility and potential. And this is what Reiki supports, you know, 
in us seeing and, and people's pathways are different as are their gifts and their weaknesses. You know, it's just, we each have our own story. I, I also love the shift from trying to define where Reiki is into what it supports. Uh-huh. No, I think that is also a nice way because we're always trying to define what is it? Well, what does it promote? What it, does it support? What is its value? Let's mm-hmm. stop being obsessing about defining it so clearly. Because it also, as you said, like Reiki would be different for everyone. Everyone is very different, different potential. So there mm-hmm. is not one. That is beautiful. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. But sure. so I come from a lineage. And again, I, I did one lineage that I moved more to traditional Japanese because I love everything that is very simple. And mm-hmm. in our lineage, the concept of protection before treatments or our initiation actually doesn't exist because mm-hmm. it comes out of fear. If you need to protect yourself, there is worry. So it goes against the principles, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and also like it stands in the way of true interconnection. I wanted, because that is a subject that with your lineage, I never ask. I know some uh-huh. lineages are really into protection. And again, whatever allows us to be feeling safe and without worry works, right? If protection is what allows yeah. you to be without worry. So yeah. I never ask about your lineage. What is your uh, approach to protection? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no. you remember Remember earlier when um, Paul said, I really want to take this class. And I said, I do too. And he was very shocked. Yes. So here's my story. (laughs) So um, I worked, when I got out of college, I worked in a psychiatric halfway house. I was quite, uh, quite unqualified. I'd been an intern in a, in a psych hospital, um, while I was in college one summer, my mom was a psych nurse and, uh, um, and I had a, a great degree in theology. <laughs> so I had this job and part of it was live in. So every other weekend from Friday at five o'clock until Monday morning at nine, I was the one person the one staff person with 28 residents. Oh my God, you're brave. I was was 21 years old. You're brave or very strong and tall and I'm not saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think uh, it's a case of youthful ignorance (laughs) and innocence and naivete. So anyway, after a couple of years, um, I really... uh, to just put it sort of, I don't know, badly, I felt about as crazy as everybody who lived there. And I had, um, I didn't know the word boundaries, but I had, uh, I was just a sponge, uh, which made me um, sick and exhausted and yeah. So it took me about six months to recover from that. I remember even I cried a lot. I I mean, it's just like a raw. Yeah, because mental illness has like a very. Yeah. yeah, A lot of adrenaline, a lot of like cortisol. So yeah, you vibrate very. Yeah. So um, I, I swore I would never do anything that had to do with healing. And I swore that out loud to Paul. I mean, like this was a stance that I had taken. That's why he was so surprised then. Yeah. But 
part of his story about her stories was, I just, I can hear him saying it. And she says, when you do Reiki, you never pick up things from other people. And internally, that was it. It's like, I knew I can do this and I want to do it. And interestingly enough, as a child, I was always fascinated by healing. And, you know, like there, of course, there are saints in the Catholic Church who perform miracles. And I was really familiar with a woman named Catherine Kuhlman, who um, was uh, doing healing when I was a child. She had stigmata. You know, yeah. I grew up Catholic too, so yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So her palms would bleed and things like that, right? And, um, you know, there was always this raw, like, what is this? And I, I want to I wanna know this. So that was my entree. I knew it was true. I never questioned it. When I heard it, I knew it was true. And, um, and that actually is the stance of our tradition, is that you don't pick up things from other people. Um, and, you know, what I would add is that absolutely we get triggered by people and those are our own wounds or, you know, things we haven't resolved. So I think as a practitioner, you have to pay attention to that when you're triggered and then, you know, you go do your own work, you know, however you go about that with a therapist, you know, Reiki treatment. I mean, I think, most people need help for part of that journey from, you know, people outside themselves. Um, and from my perspective, I mean, I think that maybe that's what gets labeled as picking up things from other people. But I think you're just picking up things from yourself. And so it's an opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. If you realize what's happening you know and then can work with it yeah that is is a great explanation it's you know because i think not only obviously we don't pick up anything but also to have a useful way of of those sensations are triggered to actually understand the actually for your own growth it gives a purpose and a sense to something that when we begin as practitioners can be very scary so and it's ourselves. I mean, I used to encounter people who were clients who were so needy, and I just got like sucked into that. Where I'm taking, uh, I mean, one of my another of my little weak points is an excessive sense of responsibility, and um, so you know that kind of person was just like you. Perfect. What came to my mind was terrible, but flies on shit. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm just the little fly landing right there. Um, yeah. So um, as I began to realize that this really was my issue and started um, just, you know, like being with that. So what is that? What's underneath that? You know, I, I mean, I realized, oh, well, I feel responsible for everybody. And, um, and what's under that? Well, I don't think that they can do it themselves. I think, or maybe I think I know better what they need. 
Well, what's under that? Well, that sounds a lot like arrogance, doesn't it? Pride, you know? Um, so, I mean, I learned things in that process that I just would never have thought about myself. And I mean, and that's, it's uncomfortable and kind of icky sometimes, you know, like initially you think, oh no, I'm that person. Um, but then of course, the more we do that introspection, uh, the more we realize, well, pretty much we're every sort of person, you know, and uh, yeah, that's being human and, and learning. And also that doesn't define you and you save many hours for the rest of your life that you will have been like attached to yeah. that thing, you know, to that behavior. Like it is, yeah. it's funny, like it is very unpleasant to grow, but it's a lot, you're going to like pay it with interest if you don't face it. Like it's better to spend like a few weeks, like, oh, I can't believe I'm like that shame. Whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's still better than denial. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't happen anymore after that. Exactly. So you're saving yourself like years of like, yeah, doing the same thing over and over, <laughs> which I can do in other ways, but not that particular one. I remember once I was meditating, um, Reiki, right? And I'm like meditating with the precepts or doing Joshin Koki or one of those like more Japanese meditation. And I remember I clearly felt I'm not a good person, but it wasn't like, like kind of like torturing me. It was very clear. I have uh -huh. to put myself a label because I'm again I help everyone, but again that can be ego as well, right? Even condescending. Uh -huh. And I had, and it was such a relief. It was such a beautiful thing. I'm not a good person. It was probably the best. And when I tell people, it's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, it's great. Don't put that label back into me. Like, you know, because that was the first step to seeing again the hidden arrogance, the hidden like the stuff I do, but that, and I remember because I was in this Reiki space, it was not, there was no judgment. It was just very clear. And that's one of my best memories of my Reiki practice, realizing I'm not a good person. Yeah. yeah. And I know it sounds weird, but. And not feeling shame. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Just feeling, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, I'm just a person, period. Yeah. yeah. No labels, you know? Yeah. Uh, Good things, bad things, weird things, funny things. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I love that you brought that up. And I love that reflective aspect of your practice because I think a lot of time that is what uh, gets left out when we train people. We train them to place hands. We train them to do, that's the way you do it professionally. That's the way you get clients. And we forget because that takes time. Uh -huh. um, but it's, it's good to really promote that reflection, especially, you know. And again, now is a perfect time to reflect given uh, <laughs> yeah. in the world. Yes, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> I want to finish your, the class because, the class interview, sorry. I'm like, I'm like into freaky class mode. So I want to finish the interview with another question I ask everybody. Because uh -huh. obviously, like we, we have a Ricky wisdom. You're a very, very, very wise person. But sometimes people say like, oh, Susan Mitchell or Paul, we, they sanctify people in a way, right? You become this weird guru who never makes a mistake and they're starting their practice and they feel very far away. The uh -huh. truth is we all made mistakes and they're glorious mistakes because they they made us first more compassionate, more human, but also we learn from that, right? It transformed our practice. So mm -hmm. if there was one oops that you remember fondly, which one would it be? Um, yes, <laughs> it's, it was excruciating. 
Oh, sorry. I had to. <laughs> no, that's okay. I remember it fondly, but it was excruciating. So um, I had, I believe I said earlier that, uh, you know, as I've practiced, um, my trust and confidence has grown immensely. And this was about maybe 10 years ago. So uh, that's, you know, 30 plus years of practice. Um, so through confession, I, uh, I knew a woman for a long time um, whom I liked very much. And I could see that um, something really serious had happened to her. And uh, she, was, she was like a, a deer. Um, you know, just so startle, kind of, I mean, not visibly, but like in her relationship to life. And, um, and I always maybe have had this feeling with occasionally with people, I just knew I could help her. I knew Reiki would help her. But the distance between, you know, that being a possibility was enormous. And then, um, her husband, uh, out of the blue, took my class. And I thought, oh, this is so strange. Um, and then that seemed to open a door between she and I. Um, and so she came for a treatment. And I, I had a vision of how this would be. <laughs> and it would be so gentle reiki would just hold her in all that pain and terror and trauma and um and you know soothe that so that um she could ease into it you know and engage it and uh yeah and come to some kind of peace um, so she comes for this treatment and about halfway through, she starts to cry and then sob and then just, I mean, like overcome by pain, you know, and grief. And I'm watching this thinking, oh, this can't be. It's not, it shouldn't be this way. This is, this is not the way it's supposed to be this is the worst person this could happen to. How could this happen in the first treatment? I mean, this is, and then I'm trying to, you know, like talk myself down. Okay. Okay. You know, it's okay. But it's like honest and truly my feeling was, I cannot believe this. This is so bad. This couldn't be worse. How could this happen? You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I feel for you. Yes. And, and the brain acts like there is a voice. Yeah, observing and saying those things. Yeah. yeah. And finally, I mean, she's so overwrought. I just stopped the treatment. I'm just holding her in my arms. And, you know, this, this really goes on for quite a while. And, um, and then, you know, eventually I ask her if she wants me to complete the treatment or if she'd like to stop. And, uh, and she has me finish the treatment. But I, I know that I will never see her again. I mean, it was like, I'm just going to say it was that bad. 
I'm not going to be like holy or planting seeds or anything. <laughs> it's just that bad. So about a year goes by and, you know, it's still like at that time hurt me in my heart, you know, and, um, and all of a sudden out of the blue, we get invited to a party at their house and these aren't party people. And I have never been invited to their house. So it's like, what? So weird. So, but I say to Paul, we're going to this party. I don't care <laughs> anything else on our schedule. We're going to this party. So, um, so we go and, you know, she takes me aside and she says, I just want you to know how much I appreciated that Reiki treatment and how it has changed my life. And then she just went on to tell me, you know, um, the effects that it had had. I, I, I love that story because you actually hold the space in the way she needed. But the thing, it was your expectation, right? There was nothing wrong with the treatment per se. Right. And that again, is human. Yes. And it's a great story about expectation, right? I think that I'm beyond getting myself in that predicament was just, you know, <laughs> at the bottom of the well. <laughs> But he has a he has a happy ending. So. Yeah, yeah. I I I love the story, but man, was it painful. Yeah. So I don't know. You know. And I wish the party had come like a little earlier. <laughs> you know. Right. Less than a year. Yeah, yeah. It, but it was a great lesson. You know. I mean, yet again, which of course is always a reminder: don't say never. You know, oh, I will never have expectations again. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> One thing I love about Reiki practice is I get bored easily, right? And what I love, because I love learning. And with Reiki practice, you will never know everything yeah. there is to know, right? Like, as long as you're alive and you practice, it will deepen, change, and mm -hmm. teach us. And I think that is one of the beautiful, and, and mm -hmm. that story illustrates that beautifully as well. And I'm yeah. glad that woman found what she needed as well, wherever yeah. she is, you know? Yeah. 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 And also I think if anyone, like I have people cry, but never like that, I'll remember to hug them and uh -huh. just, because at the end, that's what we need many times, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Really? Held, yeah. Literally. Held. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks so much for sharing that and, and being open and vulnerable and sharing that beautiful story. I think it will inspire a lot of us and it will touch everybody's heart. Yes. And thank you so much. Again, I'm like, I'm deeply moved, but also I'm deeply joyful. So thank you very much. It was really fun to do. I thank you for asking. Thank you. Let me just... I Bye. Thank you so much. Have a nice, oh, it's earlier for you. So have a nice early yeah. dinner. Have a nice dinner. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dive into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Gracias. Merci.